I think a lot of us, we know we are different, but we don't act upon it. Because many times we know that we are born differently, especially within the LGBTQ community. Everyone knows at an early age that they are different, but they don't act upon it till they really get the courage to come out or they find acceptance in the society, acceptance in the family for them to come out. And it took a while for me to even think about it. And also the, the interesting, the most interesting thing is you have to come out to yourself too. Hello, my friends. I'm your host, Victor Rampadrat. Welcome to the show where we share the lived experiences of ordinary people just like you. We're amplifying your voice to provide a different perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal is simple, humanize DEI so we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect. We've been working really hard to represent all communities on Truth According To. Today's conversation is going to be very real, very deep, and I want to issue a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about some very deep talk topics relating to things such as suicide and the struggle one goes through. I'm very excited to be chatting with Celia Sadia Daniels today. She reached out to me via LinkedIn. We had an amazing chat and hearing part of her story really hit home for me. Celia has been a community activist and a vocal voice for transgender variant and intersex inclusion in the workplace. Here to share her lived experience, welcome to the show, Celia. How's it going today? Thank you, Victor. Thank you for welcoming me to the show. I'm so excited for this podcast and this recording today. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. It's been a wonderful morning. Great. And, and you're in LA, so we've got a bit of a time difference. And how's the weather out there today? Oh, the weather is gorgeous. It's a uh, blue sky and, uh, you know, the, the I, I live close to the beach, so it's amazing weather. It's always very pleasant and I'm really blessed to be in Southern California. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous. I have to be honest. I'm a, I'm a travel junkie and due to COVID and some other challenges, I've not been able to travel. So I can't wait to get to a beautiful beach and some warm weather because here in Toronto, it's starting to get to around the zero mark, meaning that I have to pull out my winter jacket, and that's never a great thing. So, yeah. But you grew up in India, another very warm country. And, and I want to know, for you, what was it like growing up in India, and when did you realize you were a bit different? Yeah, I grew up in the early 70s, I would say, in India. And this was part of Chennai, um, Tamil Nadu. It's a small town called um, Chennai. And I came out to my mom when I was four years old. I realized that I was different and I wanted to be a girl. And that's the only thing I could tell my mom. Uh, I wanted to be a girl and my mom thought it was cute. Uh, so she dressed me up and they took some pictures of me. I remember even much earlier than four years, I, was, um, I have those pictures with me. But around age four and five, I realized that I was different. I started telling my mom and I started wearing my mom's sari and running around covering my head. My mom saw the social constructs created by the colonial British government in India. And she knew that it's not right for her son to come out as a trans because she knew there was something different about me. And at, at that point in time, Around age seven, my mom told me that you cannot wear those clothes anymore. You cannot wear your cousin sister's clothes. You cannot wear my sari. You cannot run around. And that's the time gender hit me. I kind of felt like always gender was fluid. But there was a time when I felt like my gender wasn't doing justice to my anatomy. It was a little different at that point in time. And... I felt so, a sort of shame at that point when mom said, oh, you cannot do this. You cannot do this. I had to go into a closet and started living my life as a closeted child uh, with gender dysphoria. And, the, and, and so your mom was accepting, but at some point she says, okay, we've, we've got to stop. Mm -hmm. You need to now put this other part of you that, you know, was 
able to be out for a bit to go back in. What 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 was that like for you to have to put it back inside and and not allow what we know today to be Celia to mm-hmm. come out? I think a lot of us we know we are different, but we don't act upon it because many times we know that we are born differently especially within the LGBTQ community, everyone knows at an early age that they are different. But they don't act upon it till they really get the courage to come out or they find acceptance in the society, acceptance in the family for them to come out. And it took a while for me to even think about it. And also the the interesting, the most interesting thing is you have to come out to yourself too. And that was a part where I was in denial. I wasn't sure what was going on. I wanted to be a boy, but at the, I was attracted to girls. I wasn't attracted to boys. But at the same time, there was a part of me that kept telling me that I want to be a girl. And I was so comfortable. I was so happy when I wore a skirt and I was dancing in, in my house when no one was around. I cannot explain that happiness. It was so real. It was so surreal. (laughs) I I really enjoyed uh, my femininity a lot. At the same time, I was also worried about being bullied in India. And when you come out, um, I I didn't want to come out first. And I uh, lived a closeted life. And I wanted to make sure that none of my feminine attributes were exposed to my friends or anybody in school. Because if they knew that I was a feminine boy, I could get into really, I could get into a lot of trouble. And um, so that started creating cascading layers of trauma that the person goes through. And I didn't know at the time it was called gender dysphoria. Every transgender person goes through a struggle or uh, a phase in the life, and I would call it as gender dysphoria. It's not even a face, but it's something that we are born with and we deal with it at every phase in our life. Sometimes the best way to face is, um, face these uh, traumas is to completely transition and have an accepting family and parents. Uh, sometimes when you don't and when you doubt yourself, then you start getting into this trauma phase which is the most, um, I would say, the most riskiest and the most difficult phase for any trans person to go into this traumas and layers and layers of trauma being um, handled, uh, especially in the family situation where the society is not accepting. Now, my family background, the roots are from India, and I know that uh, in, in that culture, it's not typical for the LGBTQ community to come out and be accepted. I can't imagine what it would be like for the trans community to come out. Did you ever have aggressors or people who showed aggression towards you because of your choice? I did. Um, When I was a child, I remember when I was in my ninth grade, and this is the first time ever, ever I've gone out as Celia. So I wore a long skirt and a top and I covered my head with a scarf, uh, like a hijab. And I walked out into the streets. This was the first time in my ninth grade. And it was uh, around evening time. So people won't see me. You know, I was a little bit comfortable coming out in the dark. And while I was walking through a construction site, pretty few blocks from my house, a security guard who was waiting there, he saw me and then he asked me to come here. He said, hey, come here. I want to, what are you doing here? And I was hoping that he would not identify me. And he looked at me and said, you're a boy dressed like a hijra. And he started laughing. And there is a derogatory word in Tamil. They call it umbodu. Umbodu means uh, it's a very derogatory word for the trans community. And for me, when someone used that word, um, I was very hurt. And for the first time, I could feel the discrimination Uh, And someone just telling you that you are worthless. And that's how the trans people in India were treated. That like, you are umbodu. You're not fit to be a man. You're not fit to be a woman. You're somewhere in between. And I would have been happy if he just let me go. But he caught hold of me and made me stand. And then there were a lot of people who started coming. And some of them were drinking in that place. They started um, publicly gathering. And then they started making fun of me. 
uh, here I was, a 10-year-old child, trying to just expose my identity and be who I am. And I was caught between this hateful community where they started making fun of me. Even women, there were almost like 15 to 20 people were standing around and making fun of me. And I was really scared that day, not because that I would have, even if they had killed me, I would have been okay. At that point, that's what I was thinking. But what was so much, the fear that I had was, I didn't want my dad and mom to know that I am, I've come out and I was walking in the streets because if they come to know, the shame that they have to go through in the society would have been even worse because we had a very dignified life in that community. And I didn't want to be a cause of shame in our family. And I said, even if I take the shame and the blame, I don't want this or my parents to know about it. So I refused to tell my dad's name. I refused to tell my mom's name. They kept asking, where do you live? Show me and I'm going to take you to the police station and all kinds of things. And even in those times, I just stood quietly and I was I couldn't even cry. And I started talking in Hindi and I really confused them. I kind of distracted them for a while. It was more than half an hour. And then I started running from that place. I held on to my skirt and I ran away. Um, they couldn't catch me. You know, I was really, really fast. But I came home and that's the first time I felt that I can never, ever come out in my life. And if I do, this is what is going to happen. Wow. I, I, I can't imagine what that would have been, being so young, being almost bullied in a way of, of people surrounding you and, and, and really trying to get to the bottom of who you are and where you're coming from and, and the slights and the the terror that you must have felt. And fast forward to today, I'm now learning about how horrific some of the trans murders are of, of that community. And, and I, I can't imagine what that community has to go through when people do just that as they start to surround and, and, and they're really uncomfortable with the difference. Now, for you, you must have struggled after that day of being like, I can't come out. I've got to put her in. This was very traumatizing for me. What was it like with that internal dialogue, the struggle within you to find Celia and let her be free? That's a very good point. And this is the time when in my life when I felt like I wanted to, I, I had two choices. One is I could live in denial and pretend that this never happened to me and nothing is going to happen to me, that I am just making it up. I'm just trying to be someone whom I'm not. Um, and I really believe that maybe this is just some kind of a fetish or fantasy that I world that I'm thinking about. Maybe I should not focus on it. So I started focusing on my studies. And every time I did, um, I always had a phase of, you know, you can avoid being Celia for like three months and then it'll hit you again. And then I have to wear my skirt and then I feel so guilty about it. And growing up in a Christian home, uh, it was very difficult for me as well because you were always taught about um, people like me were never accepted in Bible and and always I felt like I was going to hell. So the thought of going to hell was very disturbing and traumatizing because I felt like no matter how I'm going to try to live my life, no matter how I'm trying to be a good person, I cannot be. So why not I just die? So I tried committing suicide and there were a couple of times I've tried, um, you know, to committing suicide. And I was at a point in my life where I was afraid to live and I was also afraid to die. And that was a time when I felt like when oxygen was just leaving my lungs and I had a bag on my head and I was struggling through the rope that I was tied with. Um, I was I was feeling that, oh my God, I'm going to die. I don't want to die. And immediately I tried to untie myself and I did all kinds of weird things to end my life and I didn't want to fight, you know, to stop ending my life too. And that's how I lived. And now when I think about all the children who are going through gender dysphoria, I know the pain they're going through. I know when 44 people got killed, murdered last year, and 41 this year, 
because you're trans. And when you live in this type of a situation, this is not a lifestyle choice. This is a life. And people don't understand. And that's what I started telling um, to myself that, okay, I'm not going to come out and I'm just going to live in denial. I'm going to live in denial. And I felt this so real and I didn't know how to avoid it. And I, I just had post, I just kept postponing it. And every time I would postpone, it will always cascade into a point where sometimes I'll purge my clothes. I will try avoiding, I'll try praying, I'll try meditation. I've tried everything in my life. I've studied yoga for three years and I know how those things work. And I was so much into um, praying and asking God to heal me that I was born this way. I want to be healed. I want to be a boy. I don't want to be a girl. And none of them happened. None of that happened. I even went to a point where I felt like, okay, I'm going to get married. And I, since I was attracted to women, I said, I'm going to get married. And, my, and I married this beautiful girl in Chennai. And I didn't want to even tell her that I'm different because I knew that I could overcome it. I knew that if I get married, it will go away. And I thought at that point in time that this is gender dysphoria, it's, it's going to go away. Because she is taking away my femininity. But unfortunately, that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so I lived in denial for many years. And uh, I married this beautiful woman. And then my corporate life started kicking in. I was really, really successful in my corporate life. I was invited to um, uh, New York. I was, in a, I was working at Dun & Bradstreet at the time. And... Um, Professionally, I was doing well, but personally, I was dying inside. Wow, you were you were dying inside, and I, I have to apologize because I said earlier choice, and and you mentioned that this is not a choice; it's 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 a life. Can you share with me and and some of our audience who might look at it as being a choice and and help them to understand what you mean by it being a life? So I'm a science person and I worked in human genome projects um, in Indian Institute of Science and also today I'm working for biopharmaceuticals that actually develop medicines. Um, I wanted to know, and this was in an interesting phase in my life, where I wanted to understand why would a man, that is me, I'm, I'm just referring to myself, I know it might be triggering for a lot of you as to why am I misgendering myself, but this is where I started my journey. I said, why would a man want to be a woman? If they're born as a man, is it with XY's chromosomes? And why do they want to choose another gender? And what enables them to do it? Why would that really happen? And that was my quest, because I wanted to understand why am I doing this? I started reading articles in journals, and I started educating myself. I read articles from John Hopkins, from Stanford, from all over the world. And the more and more I read about it, the more and more my eyes started opening as to the 23 pairs of chromosomes that define a human body, a human being. 7.8 billion people on this planet, and yet every one is different. And there are people, like intersex community, they're born with both anatomies. And I did not understand as to why would human beings be so uneducated about trans community? And I knew there was something in my life that kept telling me constantly that you're different, you're different, you're different, all the time. I mean, this is like all the time. I'll walk into the store and I look at, um, you know, even if I'm buying something in Target, my mind quickly goes to the makeup rack. Um, I avoid and I go to Macy's, my mind goes to the dresses that I see there. I avoid all that and then I watch a TV show and then I see a, a, a person in the TV show and that I like the dress she's wearing and I sometimes wish that I was her. And if you're going through this, and this is gender dysphoria, you know, you're going through something that you're not because you're identifying an agenda that you're not born with. So when I was Daniel, I was trying to identify or pretend to be in that male mode. Because, and though I was my preferred or the authentic gender, Celia, I was trying to be Daniel, which I found it was so hard. And when I was Celia, I didn't have to pretend. Everything was so simple. And it was, it was easy. I didn't have to pretend. I didn't have to do anything. All I have to just be is myself. And sometimes people don't understand how easy it is for us to be in a gender that we 
identify with. And it also gives, reduces the gender dysphoria. It, gen, it reduces gender dysmorphia. And it also helps you to identify and live your life in the gender that you choose. That is the authentic gender. So the reason I say this is not a lifestyle choice is scientists have done a lot of research in this area and they found that this is one out of 200 men are like this. There are 1.4 million people on the planet today and almost like 147, I think, uh, intersex community uh, individuals across the world. There are a lot of them. The intersex community folks are as equivalent as having a, red, a person with a red hair. And it was so common, but the government or science was unex was um, unveiling a lot of things which people had politically suppressed. And even in India, when gender was an open thing, and for 7,000 years, most of the mythology in Hindu mythology, if you look at it, gender fluidity was very common in Indian culture. Even in the Native American culture, you have almost like five genders. In any culture, you always have not just male and female, but there are, it's a spectrum, gender is a spectrum. There are people who identify within that spectrum. And people are, the human beings are so susceptible to male and female because of the reproductive nature of their anatomy. They only think about reproduction, they don't think about people who cannot reproduce who are probably in that spectrum, who don't even identify in the gender they are born. And that is where a person, when they call themselves transgender, it's because you don't identify in the gender you're born. And that's being transgender. And it can be a spectrum too, a whole gender fluidity, gender variant, gender queer, and a lot of people in the gender variant community. Unfortunately, the British government, when they came to India, they instituted a binary law which made all the hijra community and the transgender community to go into hiding. And they didn't have livelihood. They were told you have to choose either gender. And that's when they um, went into sex work. They went into begging. They went into street performance because that's the way they could uh, keep their livelihood. So gender was always misconstrued as a point in time where everyone was saying that you cannot, this is the way human beings are made, this is the way Adam and Eve are made, and this is how it is. But there are a lot of people, even in Bible, when I started reading about it a lot, I found that even Jesus talks about people who are eunuchs. And to me, that was very interesting because um, being a Christian, to me, faith was important in par part of my journey. And I found that there are lots of eunuchs, even the Ethiopian eunuch was accepted uh, in those days. And there were a lot of characters uh, who were probably even intersex uh, in the Bible. And they were not mentioned, probably they were called as he, because that's the only pronouns they used at that point. So when I started looking at science, when I started looking at um, any of the mythology, when I started looking at ancient history, this was very fluid. It was a part of our culture. But when we start politicizing it, when we start pulling policies, when we start creating laws and taking the hum human part of it outside any laws and policies, then that becomes a conflict of interest even for people like me. I cannot have my license which says male or female because I don't identify in either. And I was so happy when California came up with the gender non-binary and I immediately ran and I said, I want gender non-binary. And um, there are a lot of people like me across the world today who know and who identify. And sometimes they don't even want to come out of the closet because they will not be accepted. Even in India, there are almost more than 9 million people like me who are struggling. And they are not even re registered as the Hijra community in the census today in 2020 census. Close to half a million of them are have registered as transgender but there are a lot of them who have not come out. What about female to male trans? What about gender fluid people? What about gender queer? There are a lot of folks who have not come out because the policies in India, the policies in any of the countries, even in America, they are not made for people who are gender variant. And that's why now the government is all changing these policies. They're trying to have gender neutral bathrooms, gender neutral pronouns, and gender neutral uh, workplace because they want to encourage people and they want to bring in more gender identity um, 
folks who are struggling with those gender identities so that we can have an inclusive workplace. Uh, but I've always felt like uh, I can go even deeper into the science and the anatomy of why a person is trans. And um, I have some, uh, I, I do a science class on that too, uh, about why and how the uh, testosterone levels are low and how the estrogen levels are low in women. And sometimes the receptors are low and there are lots of reasons why women feel like they are men and the men feel like they want to be a woman. So there are, and, and some people identify in the whole spectrum. But it is, um, it is an interesting um, area which opened my eyes and it helped me to see that it's such a simple thing. Why are we complicating it? You know, why are we making it such a big issue? Why is it a political issue? Why are LGBTQ folks being mistreated in, in the politics, mistreated in the schools, mistreated in the community, mistreated in healthcare, discriminated in the workplace? Uh, because it's not a lifestyle choice. We are born this way. And you know, every person who is different, they know at an early age. And they don't act upon it because they try to discover who they are all the time, even during puberty, during uh, adulthood, they start to realize. I've known a person who came out when they were 90 years old, nine zero, <laughs> because all their lives. Nine they zero, wow. Yeah. And uh, this is the oldest trans person who came out at, the, at that age because they realized that, you know, I was discovering myself and now I'm, I'm out. So a lot of folks um, who came out and um, it's not a fad also, you know, what people think is, oh, everybody's coming out and they're saying I'm gender non-binary. No, it's not. It's um, the community is accepted more. People are more educated now. And that's why if I come out um, today and if I, if I walk into Walmart today, I can walk into Walmart or, um, you know, any of these places as Celia and I don't have a problem. But 20 years back, when I walked into a grocery store in Pennsylvania, people looked at me like, why are you here? And when I walked out of the parking lot, uh, when I walked in the parking lot, people called me faggot. Now, you have a difference as how they're educated. Now they know that it's wrong to use those terms. And people like me are transgender. But at the time, they just said, you're a man pretending to be a woman. And you're a man pretending to be a woman. And you cannot enter our bathroom. I faced discrimination in the U.S. And I also faced discrimination in India. But uh, interestingly, the discrimination I faced was more intense in California. And everybody would say, wow, are you kidding me? Yeah, actually, yeah. Because sometimes you realize that the state is so open and uh, there are people who are accepting. But you come into these pockets of the world where people are so aggressive and they are so hateful that in my own community, when I came out in 2015 in the newspaper, I came out in the local newspaper, the first thing that they said was, you're a man in a dress who needs medical help. And that was so offensive. And I read that and I was so heartbroken as to this is California this is my county and I'm trying to be honest about who I am and why are people so aggressive about it why are they not accepting so that is the constant education that we need to do and I started doing even more uh, advocacy if not just for me but also minorities like myself and intersectionalities as well you know like people of color trans women uh, who are black, trans women who are Latinos, trans, uh, trans women uh, who are from the Asian community. So I started standing up for people who are different. And uh, to me, I always looked at it as, if you don't know who we are, why don't you educate yourself? And then you can hate me, but know me, understand me, and then you can hate me if you want. Because if you know me, you will not hate me. <laughs> so that's how I, uh, wow. you know, I like... Uh, telling people that get to know us and um, humanize it. You don't politicize it. So that's the humanize, part of Don't politicize. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, I want to say thank you so much for sharing so openly. I think that to normalize these conversations, we need to have more of them. And that's why we created this show is to bring, you know, your voice to the rest of the world so people could hear the very real and raw and even in the first meeting that i met you i remember thinking 
why was I one of those people 20 years ago that felt so much discomfort mm-hmm. when it's just a human being? Mm-hmm. And I just want to thank you for sharing openly. Now, you talked about feelings. You talked about that paper. I can't believe what it would be like to have a, a local media source say that you had mental health challenges. But recently, there was a special on Netflix with Dave Chappelle and he had some really strong things to say about the LGBTQ community and, and more specifically the trans community. Did you get a chance to watch it? And if you did, how did it make you feel? Yeah, I uh, quickly watched it on Netflix because I wanted to know what he said. Um I want to be honest, right? I, I used to like David Chappelle um, because he had a very raunchy comedy. And I, I watched his shows and it was funny. And I was like, oh, it's funny. He made fun of all kinds of uh, walks, people in all walks of life. In this show, uh, the Netflix show, it was a little bit, it didn't seem like a comedy. It seemed like a point where it was funny. He started off and then he started up talking about Detroit, the shooting that happened, then he slowly moved into uh, quoting um, J.K. Rowling. And he said that J.K. Rowling mentioned that gender is a fact. Gender is a fact. Gender is not a fact. I mean, I don't know why people keep telling it's a fact. It's not a fact. It's reality. And a point in time where I felt like when you are in a media, I mean, especially I would blame Netflix for supporting those statements. And in fact, um, when J.K. Rowling had mentioned about the gender being a fact, and she was very transphobic and homophobic in her um, in her defensive statements, you could see, um, you know, Daniel, um, I forgot, <laughs> you know, all the uh, Harry Potter characters, everyone, um, especially they all, Ratcliffe, Daniel Ratcliffe, and everybody uh, stood up and said, you know, this is wrong. Um, trans people are real. They're having problems. And they stood up and they voiced against uh, J.K. Rowling. And she was very, um, even after various, uh, you know, a lot of people had opposed across the world, it probably hit her ego. Or she went into a point in time where she said that, I am very popular and you're reading my books and I want you to know that this is my opinion and I'm not going back in my opinion. And I think that, you know, this is what it is. It kind of marginalized the trans community. And when David Chappelle quoted that, it kind of triggered a lot of trans people that thought that, hey, it's not true. You know, don't go there, David. Don't go there, Dave. You know, you don't want to go there because you're making fun of me. You know, don't make fun of me as a faggot. You can call people nigger in your show because I know you do that. And you do that all the time with the other um, black friends. But when you start calling tranny and, uh, you know, in your shows, I know a lot of other shows, uh, there were drag queens being portrayed in Dave Chappelle's show. And he sometimes dresses like a woman uh, to act a character. It's sometimes it's very, I would say, inappropriate. And uh, when companies like, trans, uh, I would say, um, Netflix and uh a few other, uh, you know, there are lots of other media companies that are still portraying trans people in a very long, uh, wrong way. And that is causing a lot of problems, not just for, it. it's a very easy thing for David Chappelle to say something and walk away. But we are facing the consequences of it. And I faced it in a bar. When I was sitting in a bar and people came to me and asked, uh, uh, you know, how much? I posted that in Netflix. Uh, sorry, I posted that in LinkedIn, uh, my experience. And there, while I was in, sitting in my car, there was a man who came and knocked on my window and he wanted to see if I was trans. It happened in my community. And many times when I have walked in other parts of uh, US, you know, being in New York, I've been discriminated because, and it happens constantly. You know, people told me, they looked at me and said, go back to your country. You don't belong here. I think media industry needs to understand what type of speech they can have, what type of media they should encourage, what type of conversations they can encourage from the podium. When these conversations become so diluted, it 
it doesn't really help the transgender community. We are already marginalized. And I come to my work and someone just makes a comment about me. Hey, your dress is nice. You know, you look great. It's actually not a compliment. It's, it's, it's very derogatory because they are trying to tell me that for you, being a man, looking like a woman is great. You know, you look great for, uh, for as a trans person. It's definitely not a compliment. And that's, that's what the media is portraying today. They're not portraying trans community in the right way. And uh, folks like David Chappelle or J.K. Rowling are not the people who are doing justice to this. And even Caitlyn Jenner, when she responded to that, being a trans person, you know, you can be a white privileged trans woman living in Malibu, but you don't represent me. You don't represent my day-to-day life. You're living in a beautiful mansion in Malibu and you're giving a lot of money to the community and you keep telling, yeah, trans people, sometimes they can be that way. Um, they can always have this, no, they create a voice around everything. They create a noise around everything. But in fact, it's very true. And that's what I think is important for the media industry to understand, not to marginalize the trans community. Even in India today, when they portray trans community, it's always being portrayed as an intersex uh, I would say, um, sorry, transsexuals. They call you transsexuals. And they call you as hijras. They call you as sex workers. And when I went to India, um, people are smiling at me and laughing and giggling. You know why? Because that's what they remember. They remember that people like me are supposed to be prostitutes. It's not that I don't, uh, I'm not condemning my, uh, you know, sex work. My friends are actually uh, in sex work. But um, that's different. You know, when you have sex work as a profession, that's different. But there are people like me. I, that's not my profession. But you cannot marginalize even a sex worker that way. Because the person doesn't want to do sex work. They want to live their life. And if they're given a better job, if they're given a better health care, so they're given a better status in the community, they won't be doing sex work. And that's what people are resorted to even today because of the way people like Dave Chappelle the way so many other folks who are marginalizing trans people in the media. And that is what is important. And Netflix did not want to take down the show because they kept telling that, hey, this is not a big deal. Oh, this is comedy. You have the freedoms to, you know, you have this freedom of speech. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, you can speak and walk away. The, the trauma that we went through in the last four years uh, from the previous administration is still trickling down in our community. Why do people call me a man in a dress who needs medical help? While And they still know that these are trans people who are actually struggling. It's because they've lost the human element of it. They've lost a, a point between comedy and seriousness. They don't know when you start um, creating some type of a conversation from and a dialogue from the podium, it's so important for even the companies that provide these type of shows and the platform they provide to really understand saying that, you know, don't go there, Deb. You know, just just be very marginal in what you're doing. You know, make fun of yourself, whatever you want to do. Do that, but don't go around marginalizing people who are already being marginalized. He makes fun of black community, which is fine. Um, but sometimes when you make fun of black trans people, you're crossing the line, dude. I mean, 41 people got murdered this year, 44 last year, and 80, 80% of them were black community. You know, they were people of color. Do you ever know the pain they're going through? I don't know. I don't think so. You have to understand all that. And I was in a point in a bar when I walked out of the bar at 2.30 in the morning. They were ready. You know, I was in a car with a stranger sitting and he didn't want to get, he was ready to rape me in the car. And I didn't know how to get rid of him. I've been in the situations. I could have got murdered that night. I'm talking about Long Beach in California. So none of these areas are safe. None of these conversations are safe. None of these dialogues and none of the companies need to, the companies need to know that these type of conversations should not be encouraged when it comes to people who are already beaten and marginalized. And that's what bothered me more about it. And why make fun of trans people? You know, if I make fun of myself saying, hey, I put on makeup today, I look so funny or whatever, that's different. I'm making fun of myself. 
But if I make fun of another trans man and make fun of someone else or a black person, that is wrong. Even though it's comedy, it's wrong. Uh, <laughs> I know I get too. You know, there's something. Mm-hmm. No, and I listen. I I love the passion. I really appreciate you sharing your your honest opinions on it because at the end of the day, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding this special, and you know, I just think it's very appropriate that we're having this conversation right in the same time that this this special is dropped. Now, one of the things that I've I've been hearing and I've been seeing is the fact that. You know, Dave has made because, like you said, he, he's been a comedian for many years. Um, you know, a lot of people from uh, the let's say marginalized or uh, you know communities of color have gravitated towards his his comedy because he makes light of very real life situations. Mm-hmm. In this, he talks about this you know media outlet punching down on him. Um, you know, making very strong statements towards him. And, and it sounded, at least to what I heard in the special, he was hurt by some of those things. And he told a story about the the individual who was his friend and what had happened to her, her and then what had made him feel like they were punching down on him and, and black people. And he was trying to, to give a, a retort statement. Is there anything in there that could be seen from your perspective as David just being very hurt by some of the things being said about him in the media and it being his way to come and and make a statement about how he feels the community is treating him and other people of color, black people. Is is that a perspective that you could see in the way he delivered that that comedy skit? I think, uh, you know, I do respect Dave Chappelle, let me tell you that. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've seen his comedy and sometimes he brings out real life um, issues. Uh, He made fun of a lot of white community. Um, He still makes fun of, you know, so many movies and Walking Dead and lots of things. I've seen that and I've seen Chatting Night Live uh, shows where he, you know, a lot of them, they don't go crossing that limit. But I think uh, when Dave Chappelle started talking about it, I didn't, I probably felt like he was just going into it slowly and slowly and saw the audience responding and laughing and then slowly goes into it. It was like, Dave, don't go there. You know, don't go there because it's, 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 don't go there. It's, it's just a little bit there. You know, I, I felt that way. Um, if you're asking me, you know, do you give grace to Dave Chappelle? Of, of course, you know, I, I want to always be a person where, if you said this and you really mean that you don't hurt, you don't want to hurt the trans community, I'm totally fine with that because we need that too. You know, if you have, but intentionally, intentionally and with arrogance, if you had made fun of the transgender community, that is not acceptable, Dave. You know, that's not acceptable. Even though you can give an apology, but if you had said something and it didn't deliver correctly, you know, you probably had a script in mind, you had a few things in mind and suddenly it didn't come out well and you had messed it up, it's okay. You know, I uh, I will be open about it because I always believe that people sometimes make mistakes and, you know, you have to give them grace. You have to be patient with them uh, and honest with them. And I think it's important for, uh, that side of day, which we want to see, which we didn't see. Um, and uh, even Netflix could have said, you know, this has happened, you know, we apologize for this. And they later did it because their own trans employees started fighting for it. They all, uh, you know, started revolting and they started saying that, hey, this is not right for our company to have these stories here. But um, if there is a way in which Dave Chappelle would have uh, admitted and you know he had said that I didn't really mean what I you know or it didn't come out wrong or this is not what I meant and if he had course corrected it um, and that would have been easy but it's not easy in comedy (laughs) because comedy is all about you know you say stuff and then you try to uh, like you know there were so many people who made fun of uh, anti-semitic semitic uh, comments and they made some comments about Jewish community, they made comments about, um, you know, the Asian community. Uh, they still do. Uh, and they don't know how to take it back. Um, but the plain thing is, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, but it didn't come out well. I had a speech ready and I, I didn't deliver it correctly. 
uh, which is okay. I think that could have probably cleared a lot of uh, angry audience. Uh, but am I going to stop watching if if Dave Chappelle comes and says, you know, I didn't mean it, and I I don't think I will uh, stop watching Dave Chappelle um, because I believe that when you make a mistake, it's okay to realize and move on, you know, correct and move on, and that happens to all of us as human beings because I don't want to be known as Dave Chappelle had done a lot of fun comedy stuff, right? A lot of things. I still remember his Walking Dead skit and Saturday Night Live was funny. Uh, I still watch a lot of his, um, you know, his raunchy comedy because I am I love slapstick comedy. My wife, for the love of God, she doesn't know why I like it, but to me, um, that's what it's all about in 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 this world. You know, you make a mistake, you correct, and you move on. But uh, when the media industry starts taking that and starts making a story out of it, not understanding the gravity of the situation, that is when it becomes really serious. Because uh, many years after now, I mean, let's say after 10 years, someone watches these, they're going to blame Netflix for it. They won't blame David, Dave Chappelle for it. Because in Netflix that hosts good shows like Disclosure, which talks about trans, portraying trans people in the media in the wrong way, you have uh, Levin Cox who had actually, you know, and so many other beautiful artists had spoken about it in Netflix. And then you have Dave Chappelle. Now, it completely demystifies, it completely doesn't do any justice for that kind of a media now, because you're not really, um, you don't, you're not meaning what you said, right? So that becomes a problem. So to me, I'm more upset with uh, Netflix for having done this because of their uh, inconsistency in supporting the trans community or supporting the LGBTQ community. And that's why it's also important for the media industries to be very clear about it, saying, hey, we probably need to edit that. We need to do this. You know, we need to do something about it or uh, have some other statement about this particular segment of what you did. It was live audience, so you couldn't have done anything. You know, we wouldn't have been able to edit. <laughs> um, yeah. But, it, it, yeah, sometimes um, I think that's the part where I feel like, you know, would I give Dave Chappelle a second chance to... Um, course correct or you know be supportive or even in his next segment when he's doing something he could have said I just didn't mean but I said something and the whole audience were freaking out I mean he can say something which is even funny but saying from the bottom of his heart look guys I'm really really serious you know I really don't mean to hurt any trans people because I have trans friends and I didn't mean it to come out that way but it came out and uh, you know I was being uh, thrown under this one he is hurt because um, there are a lot of people who are even more hurt uh, because it was Dave Chappelle, <laughs> right? Definitely, um, definitely. So let yeah. me ask you this. If I were to give you 60 seconds to make a statement to Dave Chappelle from Celia, what would you say? So this is how I would say it. Dave Chappelle, I really love your show. I watched your show and I've been watching for more than 20 years. Your segments on Saturday Night Live was funny. You have a good heart. And I believe that as human beings, and I'm a trans person, and I felt like your statement was very hurtful to me and people like me in my community. And I'm already struggling to have get a job as Celia in my workplace. When I walk into a grocery store, I get people who make fun of me. When I walk into a bar, people think I'm a prostitute. They, what you have done is really hurtful to me. And I would definitely like to watch more of your shows, but I want to know if you really meant what you said. And I only hope that you didn't want to quote what J.K. Rowling had said, because I do not, I'm not a fan of J.K. Rowling. And though I watch Harry Potter, all the series, and we grew up with it, but I want you to know that people like me being an Asian person of color and trans, we've been suffering for almost 47 years in this country. What you said is not really helping. And I would love to watch your show and I would love to give you another chance. Hope you understand what I'm saying. I think I went more than 60 minutes, but amazing. this is heartfelt, you know. That's okay. I, I wanted you to share your thoughts because I think it's important as a community that, you know, we say things, I say things, and mm -hmm. sometimes I don't realize how I hurt people with the things that I say. 
And I'm always trying to get better. I think that, you know, you mentioned something earlier about giving grace. I think as humans, we're all going to make mistakes, especially when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think people are afraid to speak. So I want us to know that it's okay to make mistakes. And if we do, we just have to own them and apologize from a good place. So thank you for sharing that. Now, I want to move to resiliency because, you know, there's we talked about a lot of trauma, but, you know, as a humans, we are resilient people. So if you could offer a piece of advice to someone struggling to fit in within their corporate culture, what would that be? That's a great point, Victor. I'm glad we brought that up. Um, to me, I wanted every all, all of us to remember this phrase. If you want to make a true change in your organization, start from the bathroom and go all the way to the boardroom. It's so important. Why am Celia talking about bathroom? Because that's where our basic civil rights are being marginalized or being questioned. In some states, trans people are not allowed to use a bathroom that the, in the gender they prefer because they are not welcome there. That the policies are written in such a, such a way. And it's so important for us to be resilient about who we are and supportive to our siblings and our legacy that we want to leave behind. Because to me, I love doing podcasts. I love, I mean, let me be really honest here. I love doing podcasts. I love doing panel discussions. I love being in the limelight. And I've done a lot of keynotes and um, even sung songs um, about transphobia and um, homophobia. But if I don't really go down to the fragment or the wire of the company and change the way they are treating trans or gender non-binary people today, if I don't do that, I'm going to be invited every year for these podcasts and panel discussions and people are going to clap their hands and they're going to walk away. And that's why it's important for me to make these changes. And it's hopeful that companies are willing to take a look at the policies and change. Government is changing the policies to accept more trans and gender non-binary folks. Look at the passport in the U.S. They have accepted X. Now I can go and have an X in my passport. I'm so excited about it. And that is what is hopeful, you know, that hope that we are being accepted as who we are. And the world is also changing and the companies are slowly changing. It's okay. And I'm going to tell this, you want to hear from a trans person, it's okay to make mistakes. Even sometimes I have difficulty with they, them, because I was never brought up with they, them uh, for an individual. I'm, I'm changing my grammar now. And um, my wife is having a hard time, even with me. Um, my daughter, you know, she's growing up with me and we're all using the right pronouns and trying to change. But sometimes at home, I told my daughter, sweetheart, you're going to call me dad. You're not going to call me Celia. And she's like, dad, is it okay? I said, yeah, it's okay. My husband calls me, they, them. I mean, she calls me as a husband, Daniel. And sometimes when it comes to personal life, it's not about rules. It's not about pronouns. It's about love and affection. It's about family. And sometimes we lose that human element of it. And that's when we get caught up in all these pronouns. But even within our own homes, sometimes when we practice that to learn and give grace to people, we do that outside as well. In your company, in your community, when someone walks to me and says, uh, hey, sir, nice to meet you. And I will say, um, actually, I go as Celia and she, her pronouns, and they say, they're going to say, I know, but I still know. And that is dangerous. And that is when we start acting. I can tolerate ignorance, but I cannot tolerate arrogance. And that's the important thing that people need to understand. Give grace to people who are learning and don't make them feel like they have to walk on thin ice even to talk to a trans person. And that's why when you introduce, you know, when a Victor say, hey, hey, my name is Victor, I go by he, him pronouns. It makes such a big difference. It's not because, you know, I know Victor is a straight man and he uses he, him pronouns. But when he says I use he, him pronouns as a trans person, immediately it hits that he is respecting my pronouns. And that's why he is bringing up his pronouns so that he understands my pronouns. 
And then I will say, that's the way to start a conversation with a trans person. You know, that's how we can change the world today. And uh, if you're meeting a trans person, you can say, hey, my name is Daniel. I go by, you know, he, him pronouns, or I, Victor, he, him pronouns, Simon, he, him pronouns. Or I'm Susan, I go by she, her pronouns. And how about you, Celia? And I'll say, yeah, I go by she and they pronouns. Now I know I, I'm in a very accepting environment and I, I don't have to worry about it and they don't have to worry about it. We can have an honest conversation. Um, but I think it's so important for uh, people in both sides, even the trans community has to give more grace uh, when it comes to uh, allies um, who are learning and trying to be helpful. So um, it's more important for us to remember the phrase that change in, your di uh, in any company and in the diversity space starts from the bathroom all the way to the boardroom. And when we have people of different intersections right in the boardroom, not just white people in the boardroom, not just brown people in the boardroom, <laughs> not just full of black people in the boardroom, it should be a diverse community. I know that a lot of times when I, when I say this, people are like, how dare you say that? Oh yeah, I will say that because I was working in a company that was completely brown and the people in my board were completely brown, brown men. And I had a problem with that. So sometimes we have to also think about diversity and intersectionalities even within our own race, within our own culture. And it's a very toxic Indian environment that I was in. I couldn't come out. But I came out in a company that was more uh, diverse. So, And now I've started my own company. So I think it's really important for us to create the change all the way from the bathroom to the boardroom because we don't want hidden figures. Again, that movie, Hidden Figures, so much impactful and it always hits me. So yeah, that's where I think I wanted to, can I end this conversation? <laughs> Amazing, now just before we end, I have one other question for you and it's a question that we ask every guest. How do you think as a society, we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect? Absolutely. I love this. This is the part which is really, really important for us as a society to be more inclusive, to be more accepting is to be an ally to the community. So I can spell it out um, uh, as allies is abbreviated as a acknowledge your privilege that you are in a position to help a trans person. L, be, um, learn, be willing to unlearn some of the things that you have learned. The second L is listen to the community. I is to instigate and have tough conversations in places about where you think this is controversial. You know, that's where you can make a change. E is to educate yourself about the trans community. And S is to be supportive by being involved, by standing there in spaces where trans people are being misrepresented by being in a space where you can be the voice of a trans person. And that's how I wanted to, um, you know, that's the best way to be an ally to the trans community and also to be a, a partner that we all are going through issues, you know, as human beings. So we wanna hold each other's hands and say that when you have a problem, I told this to my friend Lucky, who is a black uh, trans man. Hey, uh, Lucky, this is about George Floyd, and murder and how can I be inclusive? How can I support you? I told my friend Chris, who was an uh, Asian person, and I told Chris that, hey, Chris, you're going through a problem today with the anti-Asian issues. How can I help you? So it's not all about me, but I also need to be a part of a community where I want to be their voice. I want to be there to just stand and listen and learn. And that's how the world can be a better place for us to be allies to each other and be supportive. And most importantly, have that grace and patience when people are genuinely making mistakes, um, you know, and they are honest about it and they want to genuinely change. So, yeah, that's the um, last thing I wanted to mention. That's amazing. And where can people find you? I'm, if they uh, wanted to connect with you. The funny thing is, is if you Google Celia Sandhya Daniels on Google, you will find me. 
uh, it's so easy. I'm all over the place. I've been around for almost 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and we'll, we'll also drop your LinkedIn into the show notes yeah, as well, yeah. where people could connect with you on there. So folks, there you have it. You really had a, a front seat to an amazing conversation where we talked about issues regarding intersectionality, the trans community, and being an ally. I love that acronym to help all of us move closer to that culture of belonging and respect. So there you have the truth, according to Celia Sanya Daniels. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Victor. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Our show is sponsored by Discourse. We build belonging into the DNA of DEI. You can visit us on the web at discourseagency.com or check out our YouTube channel, Discourse Agency. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a review, drop a comment, and most importantly, share it with a fellow human. Thank you so much for your support. And remember, your truth is your experience. Bye for now.